Hello and welcome to the Matt Belair podcast. As an explorer of the mind and world, author and coach, I have spent a lifetime learning how to push my limits and achieve my highest potential. My mission is to bring you the most inspiring, conscious, and empowering teachers, leaders, and thinkers on the planet. To bring you stories, lessons, and messages that will help you master your mind, body, and spirit. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, beautiful people of planet Earth. What a privilege and honor to be with you again today. I hope that wherever you are on the planet right now, that you're doing fantastic. And I am sending you a huge hug through the airwaves, wishing you all of the best. We have an absolutely phenomenal episode of the show for you today. We have Zuni elder Clifford Mahoudi back on the show and he talks about the et connection star people kachina's prophecy and government suppression this is an amazing episode clifford truly is a special individual sharing really ancient and sacred knowledge we talk about clifford's history in science how he worked in the government we talk about studying indigenous history because uh, clifford has vast history of his people we talk about the trail of tears, sacred points, the imbalance of nature. We talk about how the Catholic Church has influences and still influences Native cultures. We talk about um, the pharmaceutical drug cartel. We talk about how the Zuni can create rain, uh, the prophecy of the fourth world, uh, knowing what the Kachinas were and are. We talk about traveling through Stargates and so much more. This is really an amazing episode. It's truly special to have Clifford on sharing what he is sharing. So if you enjoy this episode and you want to support and you want to help Clifford get the word out there, please share this episode wherever you can. Share on your Facebook, Reddit, Instagram. Take a screenshot. Let us know where you're listening um, and help get the word out there for Clifford. If you want to support the show in general, you can uh, leave a review in iTunes. And I want to thank Pinar Akal so much for taking a moment to leave this review reviews help so much and he just titled this one bringer of goodness i can't even imagine how the world would change if more people listened to matt's amazing podcast filled with knowledge wisdom love and kindness grateful thank you so much for taking a moment to leave that review it really does help so if you want to support the show please take a moment to go over to itunes and do that really quickly also patreon if you go to patreon.com forward slash matt belair and just toss something so small in the bucket a dollar two bucks a month it helps immensely and i want to thank nicole bendayen i hope i pronounced that okay for um taking a moment to do that because it does help tremendously so thank you thank you thank you And as always, the greatest thing that you can do if you want to support the show and the message is to do one kind act for another human being today. Get somebody's name, let someone in in traffic, uh, pick up a piece of garbage. Even better, do three kind acts a day. Go out of your way to do it and don't tell anybody. Do that for at least a week. That's the kindness challenge and would love to hear your results and how that went if you take that up. But uh, please consider doing that. Uh, For those of you guys who are interested in coaching, 
and you really want to get clear on your life purpose, your life path, you want to connect more to your heart and more to your inspiration and less out of like fear and survival mode. And you want to really break through limiting beliefs and programs and just design your reality and life on purpose. And you want some coaching, hit me up, matt at zenathlete.com or go to mattbelair.com forward slash coaching. And I will happily help you out. Fill out the form there. And if you are a part of a group or an organization, and you want to do any kind of training on mindset, mindfulness, peak performance, leadership, or anything of that sort, hit me up and we will definitely craft something for you. And also make sure you go to mattbelair.com and sign up for the email list because I'm going to be doing a challenge to start the year. I need to get it all set up quicker than I thought here, but um, it's a 21 day challenge and we're going to just be going through together. So go to mattbelair.com, sign up for the email list. I'm going to be sending out details for that shortly. And I would love for you to take the challenge with me and uh, basically going to show you how I craft the year, how I go through um, with different people and what I do for myself to get the year off to the most ideal start possible. So that is it. Um, thank you so much for listening to the show. I really, really appreciate you. Let's come to a state of peace and coherence before we dive in. So wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and just let it out slowly with all the cares and all the worries. Filling yourself with peace, joy, compassion, inspiration, kindness, enthusiasm, and ready to take on this amazing episode with Zuni Elder Clifford Mahoudi. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind, Body, and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest is a Zuni Pueblo Indian Elder and member of the Tribal Orders of the Kachina Priesthood, Galaxy Medicine Society, Sun Clan, and Wisdom Keeper of the Zuni History and Spiritual Practices. He is a retired civil slash environmental engineer who worked for Shell Oil Company and various U.S. government programs for housing, planning, design, and construction for Indian reservation infrastructures and school projects. Welcome back to the show, my friend Clifford Mahoudi. Hey, Clifford. How are you? I'm doing excellent. It's so great to have you back on the show. You're, you know, we've been in communication the last couple of years. I'm such a huge, um, I don't know if fan is the right word, but you have such a deep wealth of knowledge. And every time I talk to you, I learn so much about you and your history. And so every time I get a chance to talk to you, it's such a treat to um, learn from you. So thanks so much for doing this again. You're very welcome. So uh, I don't know where you want to begin. Um, we've had you on the show before. It was an amazing episode. We, we covered a lot of ground. It's pretty amazing. You worked in high-level government. Um, you have a really incredible history and a really incredible tradition and a ton of knowledge. So we talked a little bit about this before the show. Do you want to give the people a little bit about the background on who you are and, and what you're working on now? Because you discussed um, doing a lot of research and putting some puzzle pieces together. Again, you have such a, a long history, but also deep work in the government and things like that and engineering. So your, your information is very vast. Well, my, uh, my name is Clifford Mahoudi. I'm a Zuni Pueblo Indian. 4-4 Indian blood, and uh, I'm 75 Earth years, and I have uh, was born and raised on a Zuni Indian reservation in New Mexico, way back before we had electricity, running water, and uh, we only had about 
two or three cars in the whole village at that time. So I've had an opportunity to uh, see the India Reservation develop since I was a little boy. And then also I have seen the, the governmental structures that have really affected the lifestyle, the uh, governmental systems of, our, of most Indian tribes, and also the what has happened to the earth, the water, and people in general. One of the things that I did was that I started science at a very young age, about 10 years old. I used to participate in the science fairs and went on to uh, study math, a lot of science, and eventually got a degree in civil engineering in 1969. Two days after or before man supposedly landed on the moon. So I, I, I disturb a lot of people when I make their remark, but uh, there's a reason for my saying that, which I have discussed at other, other sessions. And then later on, uh, my first job as, a, as an engineer, I used to work for Shell Oil Company. I was a structural engineer, refinery engineer. And I started working with many different governmental agencies. And uh, the last one that I did was I was an environmental justice coordinator for all the federally, rec rec federally recognized Indian tribes that had to do with environmental issues. One of the biggest ones is environmental assessment, envir environmental impact statements. And so I had a chance to really understand the whole American Indian problems throughout the whole country. And not only in that department, but I also did uh, housing programs, like you said in my bio. And I also served as a commission core officer with public health service in Oklahoma and Arizona. So I've seen the whole, whole things from a very scientific, cultural, and a futuristic standpoint of why the American Indian reservations are in a situation they are at today. So uh, it's been it's been a uh, very interesting journey for me. So I've been planning on writing a lot about the what I had seen throughout the years, and also some of the the problems that occurred based upon the historical interferences by other groups other than the American Indian and also what the future would look like in the prophecies that I was all taught from many different tribes, especially among my own tribal elders. So it's been a journey and uh, I've, I've been working with a lot of different conventions throughout the country and I lecture and make presentations throughout the throughout uh, the country on a probably a very touchy subject called the Star People Connection. And uh, I've studied uh, many, many indigenous groups throughout the planet, and all of them talk about having a Star People Connection, or, or in some cases they're called ETs, and uh, from different parts of the universe, not only in our own galaxy, but there's, I think, it's an approach from the scientific, the cultural, 
and the the practices that we do right now in your in your uh, podcast there's a there's a picture of a kachina behind you and that's in the village of Hopi and but that that is what they call the rain uh, rainmaker kachina and they're they're the same in all the pueblos so the kachina connection is actually an ET connection which I explain on many other uh, presentations. So this is information is very basic, but uh, again, the American Indian, Indian community at large have their own interpretation of the star people connection. And what has happened in the last 500 years is that a lot of the Indian tribes were taken away from their land where they were given that uh, to worship their way to the, to the sky people, the star beings and so on. And they were relocated into places where they had no idea of, of how to connect back with their, with their connection to the star, star people. And if you look at the, the Trail of Tears among the Cherokees, not only was it the only group, but there were many different groups that were relocated to lands and they lost their connection. They lost their sacred areas, sacred springs, sacred mountains. And, in, and to a certain extent, the, the certain points where they used to, or, or places where they used to connect with their gods, their demigods, and their spirituality. So this has been a very important mission on, on my part that I have undertaken to try to convey to the general public of the United States of America to say that we have a direct connection not only with the star people, but also with the planet itself. We all the indigenous tribal people call Mother Earth as a mother and also the Mother Moon. So these are things that uh, a lot of people have not uh, been made aware of because as far as the, the, uh, this, the ones that invaded this country and took over as their own land, they failed to recognize that this land is very sacred. So uh, there's nothing I can do. All I'm trying to do is to convey to the the people, the information that is still, we hold on as remnants to explain why we are in the situation we're at right now. And when you talk about global warming, when you talk about the imbalance of not only the, the nature, but also of people, there is a direct connection as to what we're going through right now. And of course, the destruction of the planet is a direct effect on the, not only the environment, but also the psychology and the physiology of people. And now that we are introducing so many drugs into our bodies, and that also has a direct effect on the balance of nature and the balance of mankind on the planet Earth. It sounds so simplified, but it actually is complex. So these are the things that I would 
I am talking about in my lectures and also how not only do I talk about the problems, but, but I also talk about the solutions, which will never happen as long as the United States government is involved in it. And look what they're doing right now at this moment. So it's very difficult. But these are the reasons that I have come out in the open, especially among many different groups. And uh, I combine the scientific, the cultural, the spirituality, and uh, interpretation of what I was taught by my elders. And what I go through every day on my ritualistic activities in talking with what we call the God system. Holy smokes. Okay, Clifford. Well, thank you for sharing all that. There, there's so much there. I remember, and I'm not sure what I'm allowed to talk about, but um, just what you were describing to us when I was with you and David Lone Bear, and just when I listen to you guys talk about anything, it has such a, a deep level of knowledge, resonance, but kindness and like simplicity. So if you, if you guys are talking about something that's mind blowing, it's not like, uh, you're hyping it up at all. It's just like, yeah, you know, dogs exist. You've just never seen a dog before, or you don't understand this. It's both a 20,000 year history that's oral and passed down. And David's a Mi'kmaq, you're a Zuni. And I also know Carlos Barrios, who's a Mayan elder, who I got to meet in person. And he has a 20,000 year history. And you guys have such similarities when I'm trying to track this together. And I, and I find it so unfortunate that you, you speak about the 500 years um, and, and that's when things really got chaotic and then probably even worse in the 1900s to lose the history, the trail of tears, which, um, is a huge subject in itself. And I only know a little bit about that. And, and it, it, there's, there's such a deep amount of history and knowledge that let's say most white people don't know about. And now in the younger generations of the native Americans, they actually don't know about it either because of the school systems and that whole terrible tragedy and so there's so many things that i'd like to to chat about i like how you talk a little bit about solutions but maybe you can talk about the 500 years and what happened there because i remember when we were at your house and you had just talked about how you remembered all these sacred sites and how the smithsonian came in and they had taken artifacts and how the u.s government you're like i remember a time when spirituality and technology was one that they talked about that and you had these sacred yes. points but now there's uh, where there might have been technology, now there's a base. So um, maybe you can talk about uh, some of that history that you feel is most important, and then maybe some of the solutions of how do you revive that culture and make sure that it doesn't disappear, because you also spoke about the language and how important that is to um, keep going. So I'll, I'll kind of give it back to you. Well, you know, the, the reason that I chose 500 years is that if you read Tolstoy, and uh, he, he has a marker about every, uh, every 500 years, a civilization goes to its uh, peak and then it, it is uh, perhaps, uh, it falls apart. Uh, the Spanish invaded this part of the world. We were the, the Zuni people were the first contact of the Spanish people in 1540. To Coronado, and that's when they were looking for the, supposedly the seven cities of gold, 
and they later call it seven cities of Cibola. Well, Cibola in Zuni word is a, is a buff, uh, bison. And I believe that that word was derived at that time. But the, since that time, they have, it's really interesting to read the, the history of the Spanish saying that they came over here and they granted the, the lives uh, and also the land to the American Indian communities that were here by, from Spain. And that's one thing that I could not figure out. What, how, how can you go and give somebody the land that they have held for thousands of years and say, now you're, you can stay on this land because it's our land now. And then, then they converted them into their, their religion, in this case, the Catholic. There's two groups, uh, the Franciscans and the Jesuits. The Jesuits did a real number on the Plains Indian groups, but the Franciscans out here were very, very, were probably uh, more treacherous than what the Nazis went through uh, with, with during World War II and what, uh, what other wars had been going on since that time, when they actually chopped the heads off of the native people here, and in one uh, place like uh, the Pueblo in Acoma, they chopped off uh, the legs of people that uh, did not succumb to the Catholic Church. So these these things are is, are real, and our people, I believe, had to uh, sort of didn't want to talk about these things. So they were kind of like put away because the American Indian especially the Pueblo people do not like to talk about atrocities and something that was so uh, tremendously bad. But it's taken me some years of research to find out what actually occurred here. And then when we go into the late part of the 1800s, then that's when the anthropologists, the archaeologists, the linguists, the ethnologists came into to being and they actually invaded sacred places which are the homes of the American Pueblo Indians and they actually barged them way into these type of uh, uh, ceremonies and uh, that in itself the, the Pueblo people do not do and then speed, speed it up to the 1900s and then they passed what they call the uh, National Reorganization Act of 1934, where they made the American Indians servants of them, the federal government. And the, the Pueblos, or at least the Indian tribes, didn't have any right to vote. They, didn't, they were not even citizens of this country. And so up until the 1950s, but they were drafting them World War One, and even before then during the cavalry stages. So it's everything that uh, is happening or, or happened before. It's nothing like what they're doing to the other, other groups right now. Right now we're, we're going through a stage of accusing each other of racism and uh, they fail to look at the the, the record of what this country did to all the people that were here, 
and uh, it's it's kind of a, a sad situation. But if you if you recall right now that nobody talks about the American Indian community at large, when Trump goes on his speeches out there, not one I have watched it. Not one time has he recognized the true uh, owners of this country. He has never recognized the American Indian people, same way with the other group, the Democrats. So it's not that I'm, uh, it's just not that I'm, there's nothing I can do about it, let me put it this way. But the, the public ought to be made aware of that. When they said that this is our country, this is our land, and we're not going to let anybody else in here, they, they failed to recognize it, that they're the ones that invaded this land and put everybody in prison and, and killed all the native people that were here. And that's, what, that's why people like myself have to bring this out to the open to give them the true history and the facts of what they're talking about rather than something that is so out of out of synchronicity with the history and again the conquerors are the one they write the history. So what has happened right now is that we have remnants of our spirituality and ceremonies and going back to the nineteen thirty four Reorganization Act. The all the Indian tribes have been converted into many constitutions of the United States, and they became secular. So all the the, the governments that are under the the constitutional form of government, they fail. I mean, the whole religious, the spirituality and the clan system, the ones that put everything together in a way has been kicked out. It's just like trashed. So all the, the Indian tribes in New Mexico, including Hopi, are, are secular governments. And but at the same time, all the, the Pueblo people have now converted to the Catholic way and so a lot of their spirituality practices are only for commercial or for for uh, dances to to show the American Indian, I mean the American community. And this is what we used to do. You go to the pueblos around Albuquerque, and they have what they call harvest dances or the corn dances. And it's very amazing that in order to dance their spiritual dances, what is what they term spiritual, they have to get permission from the from the church, the Catholic Church, to perform the ceremony. So this is a is an outsider looking in, and in Zuni, the the Catholic Church has become so prevalent, or not only the Catholic but other churches that they have far more activities within the Pueblo uh, boundaries than as if we, we as Indian people want to do our thing. So they, these are the things that I can, I have no control over, but they're now that's just the way that it's happening. 
I talked to some Hopi folks about two nights ago, and they were young people. They still, they are in the same situation that we are in other pueblos. The traditional spiritual people can no longer uh, put up with the way that the governments are running their, their systems and the negligence of their religious spiritual order system. And that is the biggest heartache that a lot of people are going through right now, especially the younger generation. They want to go back or they want to participate in their traditional dances, their uh, traditional uh, ways of life, but the government would not allow them. There's only one person in every tribe that can talk to a federal agent, which is the chairman, the president, the governor of every tribe. It's called a, it's a one-way street. And that one person is the whole total power of the total tribe. You, and that's what they call, the, in, in the Bureau of Indian Affairs, they call it the government-to-government -government relationship. There's only one person in the, the government, which is the Bureau of Indian Affairs, they can talk to the tribal chief, the tribal chairman, which is, which is the, the tribal that was either appointed or elected. So if you are a traditional elder, a traditional medicine man, the spiritual leader, you have absolutely no rights to talk to anybody unless the governor of the tribe allows you to do that. And it is really sad that uh, there is no requirement to become a tribal leader because it's an open area. You don't have to be educated. You don't have to, you can have a criminal record you can be uh, a sexual molester, but you, as long as the people put you in power, that's all they want, and the government recognizes that person as the true, the only representative. So this in itself is the destruction of the spirituality, the religious concept, and also what occurs on the land. So they also determine who can be a member of the Indian tribe, because a lot of times that, I mean, the, all Indian tribes have their own criteria. So if one tribal chief got ousted by another one, he can set his own rules, sort of like what the House of Representatives are doing right now in trying to get rid of Trump. They make their rules every morning, and it's violation of any constitutionality whether in any order that they have. So we're at chaos, we're out of control, not only in the Indian tribes, but also in the, in the American governmental side. So there's no control anymore. So they can come in there, can destroy a whole religious order system right now, and, and nobody's going to stop it. 
Holy smokes, Clifford. I, I didn't know that that was exactly the way it was right now. It's, it's unbelievably awful. I'm, I'm aware of some of the older awful stuff, and that's why it's great to know more details about what's actually happening here. I did an episode with Trevor Senapass a few weeks ago, and he's a Megamon. He was telling me that, um, you know, it was something about treaties, and there's whole treaty history. And he told me, he's like, we never gave up our land. We never signed a treaty that said, we give this land to you. And I was like, oh. you didn't. And I just assumed that 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 had happened, that he said, no, we actually never did. And so this fake system or whatever this system that we are uh, co cooperating of as a white person, as a native, how they have kind of like, you know, I just imagine back in the day when you're trying to get from Canada to US and, and the people that just did that, and then they put an imaginary border there with somebody wearing a suit and then a piece of paper. It's such a ridiculous, unbelievable system. And if you do the treaty history, it's basically that the Canadian government and the U.S. government is in default of all of those treaties that were um, that were signed. So I've been learning so much more about that, and it's and it's unbelievable. And when you talked about the the influence of being able to um, the Indian Affairs, I think in Canada it might be the Indian Act, but it's absurd that there's one representative governing. Uh, a people and I know from studying with David that in the a lot of the Mi'kmaq councils um, a lot of them are Catholic and there is a Catholic church on every reserve in Canada I don't know if it's in US for sure but those councils run are, are, are very heavily run by Catholic Church now and that has a lot to do with money it has a lot to do with power and in reading confessions of an economic hitman it just talked about how when they wanted to destroy a culture or a people, they would go over there and they would, you know, do a bad loan to get money. And then they would put somebody that they wanted in power. And if they did that and they get somebody in power, it was government to government. It was like your liaison to do the evil crap or whatever you wanted to do to that people or that country. And it seems like that's exactly what's happening here um, today. And it's very unfortunate and it should be talked about and it should be corrected and i wanted to throw in a question for my friend brian francis who is a really smart guy he's a documentarian he's very humble he's been on the show um, before and he's in the canadian parliament luckily as an interpreter for the Mi'kmaq, so we're getting a little bit of influence in there um, but he just wanted to know and and this is hopefully soon we'll do a panel and have all you guys on here um, but you wanted to know about the similarities between the Zuni and the Mi'kmaq. Like what, have you discovered anything in your research that um, was similar or have you learned anything from David that was the same that you can share? Well, it's just, whether it's up in Canada or tends to work with the um, spiritual elders in Canada, a, a person by the name of Mi'kmaq, I mean, Ganiganak. Ganiganak uh, was killed by the Royal Mountain Police in, or uh, assumed because he, they uh, put him up for drug, drug charges. And this was several years back and I used to work with him in, by telephone. But out here, there, the, uh, the federal government, the Bureau of Indian Affairs actually has a lot of influence on appointment of the American Indian community leaders. And they do that by, by coercion or by just, a, just, just uh, 
outright uh, paying somebody to get in there so they can uh, have their way with that individual. Uh, we have lost a lot of water rights. We have lost a lot of land. Uh, the biggest uh, compact here is the Colorado River uh, Water Pact that was signed originally in the 1960s. Uh, and now they, they came out to a vote again this past year, uh, 2019. And uh, the people that talk on behalf of the, the water rights uh, group, these are Pueblo people that were hired or paid to go in there and to give their stamp of approval and not telling the individual within the tribe of what they're doing. It's always been like that. If you look at the Navajo Nation, look how much, how much uranium coal has been taken out of there, including the Grand Canyon. So it's, it's a setup like that everywhere. And the bottom line of, in all this thing is that the people that are in charge of these offices are non-educated Indian people. They're usually high school dropouts or they have, or, or nepotism. You know, if, uh, if the, if the parent is a, a influential in the tribe and a lot of them in Zuni, for example, the biggest clan in Zuni is the Dogwood clan or the or the Raven, Raven clan, and so the biggest clan is the one that appoints or actually elects that person. So it, it's so, so uh, rotten all the way around. I ran for governor about five years ago, and I only got 130 uh, votes out of registered population. I mean, a voter of about maybe about eight, 10,000 people. So, so this, it's all set up again by the, the Bureau of Indian Affairs. And what they don't understand, or not only in the American Indian, but also the people at large, is that they say that, well, this is our land. You know, the chief or the governor said, we have sovereign rights to our land. That is not a true statement at all. All, all Indian land are owned by the federal government. So no Indian owns any, not even one square inch of land. It's held in trust by the Bureau of Indian Affairs for the use of American Indians. So I, I had a argument with a very high official in the Bureau of Indian Affairs. He was a lawyer too, and he used to like to brag about how great he is about law. So one day he wanted to transfer the Alaska schools, uh, which is run by the Bureau of Indian Affairs to the, the state of Alaska. So they don't have to worry about spending too much money or time up there. And I used to work with those schools up there. And I told him, sir, he said, you cannot transfer an American Indian school to the state of Alaska because it's illegal. And his argument was, he said, well, I am this high official. I can do whatever I want. I said, I'm sorry, sir. 
The only way that you can transfer that is that it has to take an act of Congress. And now this is a lawyer that claims to be an expert in legal matters, and I'm just a poor engineer. So he did not win his argument, so he retaliated against me by by uh, to get rid of me out, out of my office. This is the way they operate. So this is so if you look at it from a smaller scale in the American Indian reservation area, this is what happens on a daily basis. This is this is worse than third world nations because uh, and also what what the government programs that are out there, they're administered by the people that are in power in the Indian reservations. So they have the right to choose whoever they want to have the money or the housing or the the, uh, the water and wastewater systems. And so they can do whatever they want and there's nobody that can control them because, because they say that I have sovereign rights. The only time that uh, sovereignty is used is the right of the American Indians to govern themselves. So there's that loophole that they can govern. They can make a rule in any way they want it because they have that authority. But they don't have any sovereign way to transfer land or sell any land to anybody else, except in the case of casinos that also has it also passed uh, those uh, areas because the people that are in charge were rubber stamps, the tribal leaders were rubber stamps. And the reason I know this is because I have to do, had to do the environmental assessment, which would eventually go into an environmental impact statement, which will require many, many disciplines, not only engineers, architects, but also anthropologists, archeologists, historians, and also you have to go to a buffer zone. You have to you use the cultural anthropology, sociologists, and, and nobody re respects the medicine man, the, the uh, cultural, cultural related people on the Indian reservation. So it is a total mess. Clifford, man, you said, you said so much there and, and my mind is just spinning. It's when I started researching just war. I didn't understand why we had war. It was pretty clear that the government is corrupt. And obviously from an indigenous perspective and somebody who worked in the government, you know, for sure it's very corrupt. And so this is obviously a challenging situation and it's very unfortunate. When you were talking about um, the Zuni or the Hopi being able to practice their spiritual practices and how important that is. I remember in one teaching, David was telling me that uh, the Megama, the star teachings are, are the Megama teachings that they used to practice that spiritual way, that that yes. was their teachings and that's what they used to do. But in the 1900s, if you were even mentioned the star teachings, you would be taken from your home and killed. And this isn't very far off. If you look at history, any kind of religion coming in the Catholic church in Europe and, and the hangings and um, the crusades and all of that kind of thing, you know, having another belief, but then you hit another culture that might have a, a totally different belief than yours. And, and it's interesting that the indigenous cultures that are separated 
by vast distances have a 20,000 year oral history and coming into Western schools and learning from this, it's, it's so new and so different to what I know. But when I look at the history that I've been told and I research as far as the, let's just say white history, European history, a lot of it just seems like it's very war based. It's very uh, conquered and we know very little about the indigenous history. And so you sharing all this, and what we're dealing with in modern times now and what is right and what is just and what can we do for solutions. So in knowing the details and how challenging this might be to create a solution, if you had a magic wand, what would you do to implement a solution? And do you see hope? Do you see a possibility to revive in indigenous cultures and their history? Do you see hope to connect indigenous tribes with, with non-natives, with Europeans in, in the whole world in this kind of like, some people will say it's, oh, it's the new earth or the fifth dimension, or they use, you, you've been to the conferences, you know all the words, um, but do you see yeah. hope for moving together and finding a world of peace and what would we need to do in order to do that? And then the, I guess the follow-up thing would, if there are star beings here, which you've talked about and the other indigenous talk about say, Hey, they've been here. They are here. How would we even be able to get to that level of connection in a peaceful way? Well, one of the things that uh, happened in the past was that there were, there used to be a group called the uh, National Congress of American Indians that was created during the second world war to, uh, to take care of the lands and the, and the rights yeah, especially in the water rights and mineral rights. And then later on, they, they uh, also uh, group, put a group together called the National Tribal Chairman's Association, which were governors and chiefs and leaders. But they, were, they became corrupt because of the, the money that was involved in, in getting them. It's sort of like the United Nations at a mini scale. And but what needs to happen is that you have to deviate from the established system that they have and and put in a group that are spiritual people, uh, medicine society people, the uh, culture people, the religious groups, because we have so many of them. We have the clan systems, we have the multi systems, we have the medicine society. Then when you go put that group together across the, the whole United States of America, including Canada and Mexico, and let those people be they recognized as part of a United Nations group, which will which will eventually want happen. But but uh, what they they need to do is to put these people that are very well educated in not only in their way but also in the white man's way. I know a lot of uh, very dedicated individuals that are professional people. I'm talking about medicine people, doctors, lawyers, engineers, uh, education people that are not recognized by the, their own tribes. You get that people together and even put them sort of like a think tank type approach to it. At the same time, legis put in legislation that they have to go through that group in order to provide uh, the government services. Right now, it's just a it's just a handout to the tribes 
and I have, I'm very familiar with all those type of activities. In, my, in 1966, I think I told you this before, I worked on a project called, it was a, um, it, it was a 24 projects in 24 months. We're trying to get rid of the Bureau of Indian Affairs at that time under the Johnson OEO program years, Office of Economic Opportunity. The law that I worked on, or I mean the law that eventually became law, is called Public Law 93-638, the Indian Self-Determination and Education Act of 1974. That was to establish a system where the Indian tribes take the federal money to administer their education programs, their schools, road construction, hospitals, everything that the government money is uh, put on their Indian reservations for. I look back now, I was 22 years old. I'm 75 right now. I look back and I said, and it says, boy, I thought that it was going to be a magic bullet to get rid of the Bureau of Indian Affairs and have the young people uh, at that time become educated to run not only the medical programs, the legal programs, road construction, engineering, and all that, but it backfired. And and what happened at that time is that the the quota system came into being uh, called the Civil Rights Act, which they followed in that they put in minimally qualified individuals to run very sophisticated programs. So there, there's already a system in place. All you have to do is to restructure it again and make a whole complete do-over of these programs because as long as a federal government is providing funds, it's not going to go out to the people. Or it's not, they're not going to hire the professional people like professional doctors, professional engineers, lawyers, teachers, and all that. Because the high school dropouts become the directors of those programs. And this is what really caused a lot of damage. And that's the solution that one solution out of many that should be implemented because it's already there. The other thing too that needs to happen is that we'll work this activity through this, I guess you might say the council of uh, people that are very well educated and not not go through the the elected officials and, and the appointed uh, tribal people that are selected based upon their, because they're popular or because they, they uh, belong to a certain group. This, this, is what, this is what has failed the whole, whole Indian community. I talked to the Hopis again the other night, as I said, and their biggest concern is that they do not recognize the spirituality anymore the so-called elected officials because the structure is set up so that the American government is the ruling, it's the big dog that, that tells the little dog what to do. And uh, so you have to go in there and look at these from uh, the standpoint of what can be effective. A lot of our 
Indian kids, they go off to college, they come back and they reject them. They say, you no longer welcome me. And I happen to be one of them too, so that's why I know. I thought I was the only one, but it's done that to everybody. A good example is one, uh, many people come to me, they go out there and they get their professional education. I'm talking about medical doctors, I'm talking about professional lawyers and engineers and and when they come back home, they're rejected because of jealousy. It has nothing to do with not being spiritual or not being religious. They're just jealous. And the, the other thing, too, is that the American culture is so out of control on Indian reservation because there's no control. I'm talking about meth labs. I'm talking about alcoholism. I'm talking about drug use. And every every tribe has bootlegging joints right there on the reservation. And so the, so that's another thing that has to happen is that you gotta reinforce your uh, law enforcement and and I would not trust the federal government with their the groups like the FBI or the the ones that are the, the so called police state. I would recommend that they establish their own forces to, to control their own destiny and also to clean up their reservations. Because that in most cases, when the federal government comes into there, they side with the, the, uh, the bad people of the reservations and they actually promote that type of activity because there's money to be made. There's no more trustworthiness in the federal government people that are there. And so I would not trust the, the federal government to come in there, but use the, the sources, say, for example, like drug con control and drug uh, rehabilitation to provide to this group, this professional organization group, to administer that, those programs and let those guys hire those people that are qualified. Because if you go through the tribal system, you're gonna still go through the, the, uh, the governmental setup. Uh, like for example, there's what they call a TRO. It's called a Tribal Employee Rights or, uh, Ordinance. And that takes away the incentive of anybody coming over here to do construction or contract work on Indian reservations. So you have to reestablish the whole setup and uh, it has to be done again with professional people. And I have, and I have done this, or I, at least I have uh, introduced this in many sessions, but nobody seems to care because this out of control, just like the United States of America. Well, again, Clifford, you shared so much there. What it made me think about is the understanding, again, like talking to you and David and where the money goes. And you might have been saying before this broadcast how the money that comes from the government through whatever channel, it's like a dollar that's actually ended up with the people. And talking to David, you talking about the casinos and how 
the actual people aren't getting any of the money and whatever the structures are and you and David both know exactly how they work, but mm -hmm. essentially it's whether it's casino or, or government, there's a liaison within the indigenous community, whatever the case may be, but only a few people, those liaisons, those chiefs that aren't quite maybe what they used to be or, or however it used to work, I have no idea, but the money's not being filtered down to the people. So there's a very few people making a great deal of money and they're running those councils and those influence and however that work. And so that, that middle class and that lower class isn't actually getting any, um, any resources or any help. And then what you're saying also is that resources aren't being distributed in a way that you can control in that positive way like you would imagine, like for the school system. The, the last time we did the podcast, you were saying when they were doing the housing that they were trying to give literally the worst housing possible and it was just completely ridiculous and you had to fight your way up to say, hey, this is, this is unbelievable. You, you've got to do a better job than that and you, and you made a lot of progress. But it seems like these systems are set up so deliberately and so awful. And if you look at... Um, you know, obviously the, the school system and, and what the public schools did to the indigenous in Canada and North America. And Brian Francis did an amazing documentary on this, but it's unbelievably awful. And what's happening right now is really awful. And it's, and it's happening in, uh, you know, in Canada, it's a little bit more chill, but people go about their daily lives and they have no idea these systems that are in place that are really suppressing people. And it personally bothers me to a great degree and it would be great if people were aware of these systems and then we could provide a solution to make it make sense, make it be um, fair and just and ethical. And I'm curious, I would, I would love to know what would be your perspective to help the uh, Zuni or other indigenous cultures reconnect with their spirituality? And what is it that uh, you would want to share with a native or a non-native to help if somebody wanted to help or do something what is it that anyone could do well you know that um, in the governmental structure of the United States of America we have a secretary of education why the hell do we need a secretary of education because the states and local uh, governments run the school system and we do not have anybody in a cabinet level that has a direct connection to the American Indian community at large. We have what they call an assistant secretary for Indian Affairs under the Department of Interior. And that person's job is just a, another non-job in the in the interior department and also it probably directs all the activities in the Bureau of Indian Affairs and it's a buddy-buddy system that they select those people to go out there and have a cushy job on Indian Reservation. What this group that I'm talking about needs to do is that for the next election, whoever the president is, get a group of people together like myself and others to sit down with the president-elect next year and sit down and say, we have a problem here. Whatever happened with, with the past 
is not working. The laws are in place, like I said. And we also have the money that is being distributed to all the different programs. And uh, we need some type of a controlling element that has to have the ear of the president of the United States, not the, not the second or third tier levels in the federal government because nobody cares about them, nobody listens to them. And the other thing too is that the American Indian people has got to uh, get some testicles to be more firm about what their beliefs are rather than what they do is they fight among each other. And this was created by the federal government that's always been fight among each other. The whole divide and conquer thing that's been going on for 500 years. And then to get these people again away from the, the elected officials, even though that the federal government only recognizes that one individual of 556 different nations, you have to have a group that is sort of like side by side with them because there is a, there's a whole turnover of uh, government uh, officials in the tribal side. Some of them are one-year terms, some of them are two-year terms, and some of them are four-year terms. And there is absolutely no way you can get anything done. But if you had this subgroup or a group that is, uh, is and members at large to dictate, not only dictate, but also to, to provide the assistance, sort of like a technical assistance type thing. And you're going to have a very, very good staff of people. You're going to have your attorneys, you're going to have your engineers, you're going to have your, uh, you know, just across the board, especially in the spirituality and the religious parts of it, which we already lost and we're losing every day. But again, it has to be done. Why, you know, for example, why are we out there fighting all over the world of people that are killing us every day? These people have been at war with each other for 10,000, 20,000 years, and there's no need for us to be over there. Why don't we do the same thing over here in this country? And I think that if once we get away from uh, trying to kill each other in the the government of the United States uh, on false charges, and let's sit down and talk, talk real business. This is the my recommendation that we have to do that because we cannot do that piecemeal. It has to be done in a very wide sweep, and also, not only that, but also give our brothers in Canada and our brothers in Mexico to be on that same group, sort of like the United Nations of Indigenous Communities. Because the United Nations don't give a damn about anything, and they're extend, spending billions and billions of dollars for nothing, and these people over here are the, the true owners of the land, the true people that has been deprived of everything for the last five, six hundred years, and let them de decide their destiny because we are all on the same note, and we have a lot of smart people, but the government is the one that's creating this chaos and putting in their selected people, sort of like George Soros. They're buying those people in there so they can continue the uh, ma mass uh, destruction or 
getting rid of uh, treat. Well, there's no treaty anyway, but anyway, to get the minerals, the water rights, the forestry lands, the, all the natural resources, because these people that are in those power, they have absolutely no clue as to why they're sitting there and all they care about is money. And so that's what needs to happen. It has to start up at the top. We can no longer afford to sit back and wait for somebody to come around. We have to do that. And I, I would like to see this happen because people like uh, the people that you're talking about, we have the background, we have the information. We, we're all scientists, we're all engineers, we're all, we know the history of what happened. We just did not wake up one morning and say, I think we ought to do this type of thing. I've seen it firsthand. And I know what the solutions are if they only allow people like me to speak on behalf of those people that don't know how to talk anymore. And uh, you gotta understand another thing too, is that the American Indian community at large are at least 90% Democrats and they stroke, I mean, they vote straight ticket. So they have to get away from that mess also. Because I used to deal with uh, politics on the sidelines many years ago. So this is why right now they're going through this turmoil of the political side. And they also used as a rubber stamp for the political Democrat party process. So you have to educate them. It's, it's a long, hard journey to get educated. We've been trying forever to educate the American Indian community. But right now the education system is in the tank. And it's part of the swamp people that created this no education thing. So it has to be done by the indigenous community that are directly connected to the people and to the earth for them to speak. And a lot of my generation people are willing to do that, but we're, we're told we can't do that because we have to get a permission from some dealing that happens to be the chief or, or some governor or some chairman. And most of those people have no clue as to why they're there in the first place. Sort of like the, the squad in the United States Congress. They're there only for, for show and they have no clue as to what they're supposed to be doing. So this is what needs to happen. Hmm. When you're speaking, what it makes me think about is the idea of just the government being the mafia, you know, and that like uh, what's kind of being pressed down and, and you know, you're, you're suppressed and suppressed and suppressed and like getting these little coupons for your suppression or like Julius Caesar or something running everything. But also on the other side, I kind of feel hopeful that if there was an ear, I can imagine back in the day when these treaties were first being signed and when I was talking to Brian Francis and when I was in Nova Scotia doing, um, I was down there with David and, and I was talking to a man named Alan Knockwood who was very knowledgeable and he was telling me that when the French came over, they actually had a good relationship with the French. And when the British came over, they could speak four languages. 
So at that time, they could speak four languages. And they signed the first treaties with the French in Paris and apparently had a good relationship. And the positive side of me just imagines, wow, what if you went to the White House and there became, you know, the indigenous, the Native American councils of Canada, USA, um, uh, South America, and were actually heard and solutions started to happen. But then on the dark side, and my conspiracy side starts to go, okay, you know, you think when you're talking about the United Nations, it's absurd that the indigenous cultures are not represented there. All of them have the oldest history of the planet. So it seems like when I think about the conspiracy side or the suppression side, which you're speaking about right now, it's very obvious that the systems are suppressing people. I some I said something about money on my Instagram the other day, and I just said, we need new role models that aren't just pursuing flashy cars and things. I wasn't saying money's bad, although the system of money is bad because it creates slavery. We need abundance to kind of move forward. Um, but it's besides the point of the structure of what it does, and we need quality role models. And so if you look at the planet as a whole, and however it's being run here, doesn't seem to make sense. We still have uh, 3 billion people under $2.50 a day. And so it's that system of money that's suppressing all of those people that I don't know how to help, but I wish I could help. Some pe- thousands of people every day are starving to death. We have human trafficking happening and it's systematic. It's a system by people that are putting it together and, and trafficking hundreds of thousands of people every year. It's actually happening. It's, it's unbelievable. And it, again, it really pisses me off. And so what is the solution to that? So my question to you is just thinking about it on a global scale. I kind of ask a lot of people this. You've been to the conspiracy conventions and they talk about ETs and the, and the one world order and all these dark forces and you've got dark institutions. And I can just imagine, you know, in a very simple way and, and not to pick on the Catholics, but you kind of had a lot of power and they Im- impose that power on a lot of other cultures, just like the Christians going over to Africa, helping, you know, quote unquote, in air quotes, helping these primitive cultures and giving them their God and their way of thing, but actually just taking and, and conquering and doing what you do and adding a religion to that. So that doesn't seem to be okay with me in a general sense. And so when I try to scope out as big as possible and I look down at the planet and think, what in the hell is happening here? How do we have all these dark systems? Is it just groups of people? Is it old kings and queens? Is it Illuminati stuff? Is it some other thing? Some people say it's different alien races that are doing all this because they're so much smarter and ahead of time. All this stuff people talk about. I'm curious from your view on, on the highest perspective you can what do you think is actually happening on the earth? Why is it seem to be, uh, why does it seem to be allowed to do all these horrible things and have these terrible infrastructures where to me, I think when I, when I think about people, I think that they're good and I think that they, they want to care and they want to help their fellow man, but we're put almost like two pit bulls together, right? When you're talking about the, um, the the Hopi fighting within each other. They talked about that in the early 90s with lower class black neighborhoods killing each other and, and gang violence. And so uh, from your perspective, what do you think is going on here in the big picture? Well, I think uh, one of the things that that uh, you're talking about is that uh, when, when uh, I believe it's in the white man's Bible, the book of Timothy, uh, they they misquote that line in there 
they say that money is the root of all, all evil. And I, and I told him, no, no, it's, it's your white man's Bible says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. And this is where a lot of people uh, have become so engrossed in that of you know, mine, 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 me, 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 and pretty soon they're starting, starting to fight each other. And uh, it's, it's a matter of just uh, wanting more and more, and they've become so addicted to material things and material gain, and also the, the ego takes over and the power structure that they can get from not only ego, but materialistic gain. This is what destroyed the Zuni, Zuni medicine and Kachina societies because of ego and materialistic gain, gain that they can do, that they become a spiritual leader just for their, for the, for their own benefit, which is happening throughout the whole, whole world. They're not concerned about the earth. They're not concerned about other people and their, their neighbors. So what they're interpreting according to their, to their Bible, they, they hold their Bible and they talk about these great things, but at the same time, they, they persecute them and then they, they thrive, on, thrive on stealing and killing other people so they can always be in power. If you look at the United States political system, that's what it's all about. I mean, you don't have to be very smart to figure out that they're not in there to help anybody except themselves. They don't even follow any law whatsoever. They don't care about, about uh, getting things done. So it's like that all over. It's, it's, and then they blame other things. Oh, it's a, it's a bad alien. It's a conspiracy. No, no, no. It comes from the heart. It comes from the heart. It's you. It's them that decided that. And the real, the real people that are concerned about everything else, their neighbors, the, the world, the clean air, the clean water, nobody cares about those guys. And they have the solution to that. But it's all about mine, 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 me, me, me. What's in it for me? And that's what has turned this whole world upside down. And uh, the best thing that could ever happen right now is to, to knock out all the satellites that are out there in space and knock out all the power lines, knock out all the banking system and, and just make sure that all the electrical systems that run the pumps, run the grocery stores, run the gas stations, wipe all of that out. And then people will, will start talking to each other and then they'll start looking at ways to help each other. Then we go into a communalistic approach to taking care of each other. But see, this, this is what happens. I've been involved in you know, a lot of these experiences firsthand. When an airplane, the, I've been on a lot of air, airlines, when the, when the oxygen mass drops from the ceiling. There's no chaos, everybody is methodical. When a flood happens, 
the first thing that they want that the human mind does is that everybody gets a heart. Are you okay? What is there something I can help you with? What do you need right now? How's how's their children? How's your how's your old people doing? This is this is see you eliminate all that thing that has to do with personal gain and power. And so we come back to a sense of communalism and to try to help each other out. Right now we're trying to outdo each other because of the technology that we have. We forgot all about spirituality. We forgot all about neighborness. How are you doing? How are you feeling? So this is what has created this state of non-human activity and uh, it's, it's a very bad way to approach this, but it can happen. And uh, based upon my studies in psychology and psychology, sociology and so on, and this would put people back on the first floor, which is the ground floor, to say that what can we do to help each other or help you, rather than saying what, what are you going to give me and, but it's, it's very drastic. But if, it, if mankind is to be safe, this is what needs to happen. And uh, we now we go back into taking care of each other. We're going to get the water. What type of food are we? After, all they, after they invaded all the, the Walmart and the Home Depot and the uh, Best Buys and all that, we come to that point to where you can only have so many TV sets, and then now we're at the starvation state. Then people will start realizing that what we did was bad, what we did is wrong, and that's where the true leaders will come about, not the politicians, not the guys that have a lot of money. This is what will happen. So, and then that's the, the worst case scenario. On the other side, right now is that we have to look at our this nation is in collapse and it's it's in it's in the same scale or it's in the same time frame as what the Hopis, the Zunis had been whole prophecies for the last seventy five thousand years at least what the grandfathers said, what the great great what their great great grandfathers told us. We're at we're at that point a lot of this is common sense. Look at the world population, and they're starting to fight each other over single things, groceries, water, where they're gonna park their tent tomorrow night. And so the Congress of the United States and all the different groups had to come to some type of a consensus of how we're gonna to work together. See, they already created nations to come be at war with each other. And now it's coming into our, in our front yard and our doorstep, and they don't know what to do. And that's because it's damn politicians. And that's the fake churches, the fake news, everything that is fake. Now, you go back to the Indian villages right now, there are still people that are left that have the solutions. And uh, I don't know anymore how they'll 
address me in these situations because I'm already hostile uh, by my own tribe. But I'm sure that there are certain groups out there that have still the respect of that land and that way of you know, taking care of each other that has to be in that system. Okay, now on the other extreme is just what I told you about. You have to look at the, the conquerors of this nation, which is the United States government. We have to go in there and make our stand. None of those treaties are worth a damn anyway. It was never carried out. But there is something that is still true today, which is water, which is natural resources. We still have the plant life. We still have the rock people. We still have the minerals. How are we going to take care of these things? It has to be done at a, a eyeball to eyeball meetings with the people that are in power. And I was hoping for a, for a time that Trump would come to some type of a connection with the American the true owners of this land, the true people that have a lot of concern with this land, to actually sit down with the indigenous tribes, not only here, but again, like we were talking about other nations, to sit down and to, to have a meeting with them. It doesn't have to be public. But now the interference that they're created by the House of Representatives. Now, I'm, it's kind of a dim view at this time, but I, I think that in the end, eventually it'll work out to where if he becomes president again, this is the first thing that we ought to, to encourage them, and I'm talking about this group that I'm talking about, not the politicians of the reservations, but the true leaders which are the spiritual people, the medicine man people, the people that are really directly connected with the earth and the star beings. Yes, there are star beings. You ask any indigenous groups throughout the planet, they'll tell you, they'll tell you, yes. The only reason they don't say that is because they were, they were put to death in years past or they were kicked out because they believed in that. But now it's not going to go away. It's always, it will always be here. That's why I take it upon myself to continue to talk the way I am doing. They've already done damage to my, to me personally, but that's not going to stop me because as long as there's true connection with those things that are are out there, what we call the the star beings or or uh, off-planet people or exopolitical groups, I will continue to do that. I had an argument last two weeks ago with a lawyer. He does not believe in Bigfoot. He does not believe in ETs. And he's a lawyer. And he does not believe in after death. He does not believe in God. He does not believe in anything. And I and I had to get away from him because he, these are the type of individuals that are now in power. And you look at what is the so-called United States government. You look at what 
you used to it used to be that you could trust the CIA or the the FBI or the medical profession. There are there are no there are no medical professionals. They're run by the drug drug cartels. I'm not talking about the pharmaceutical drug cartels, the legal ones and the illegal ones. So you have to look for a happy medium. And uh, I've read enough, I have experienced enough to know that there is a solution as long as they let people like me and others have our day and have our day with whoever is going to be in charge of the United States coming next year. I do not trust the Democrats because they have gone off on the deep end. But if the Democrats win, I believe this is what the, what the prophecies talked about. This is the end of the world as we know it here, and we're just going to go into what has happened in the past. The Hopi, the Zuni, and others talk about the end of the third world. We're at the end of the fourth world right now. And these are the prophecies that are held. And they were put under the rug by many different organizations. And so, so that's what I believe. I may be laughed at. I may be ostracized. But I have to stand on my teachings, not only on the, the spiritual side, but also on the scientific, the historical side, the culture, and, and all the things that I have been taught some of the great teachers of the planet. So that's what needs to happen. Wow, Clifford, again, you shared so much information and knowing you and, and having a lot of conversations and having the privilege to watch you speak in Sedona and listen to you and David speak and, and have that background information and knowing more about your history. And I only know a little bit of a little bit of what you've been through. You know, you're 75. I learned a little bit about what you went through to um, become a part of the, uh, what do you call it? The galaxy medicine society. And even that alone, from what you shared, we have a whole culture of new age people, which is, which is good in a lot of ways and, and crystals and all that kind of fun stuff um, and spirituality and meditation. But when I listen to some of the things that you went through and some of the things I, I heard David went through and I was like, Oh my goodness, like that is so intense. That is such another level of training of information of study. It's a whole, it's a level up. You know, when I trained, in China with the Shaolin masters, the way they do Kung Fu and train martial arts is not like your everyday martial arts. You know, it's like people are going to do um, church and they go for their hour and they get all pepped up, but you guys are out there doing something that's completely different. That has an ancient history, 20,000 years, and it's being passed down and it's sacred for a reason. So I just wanted to share some of that background of, you know, just knowing a little bit of what you've gone through and, and how I'm hearing what you say makes sense. It's, it's very grounded. I can just imagine you, 10,000 indigenous people from the US form a group and they actively go and say, we, we need new modern communication and we need you to listen. And people got behind that and people started to wake up a little bit because when you're talking about um, people, 
it made me just look at the world and it's like we've become robotic. It's like we've forgotten our emotions. We're doing all these things that we know in the back of our mind are not good. In Buddhism, they'll just talk about right livelihood. Does my job harm a whole bunch of people? People don't want to look around that next step and the next step. And I remember David in one of his talks talking about the pipeline and um, shoot, what was that famous one that just happened that everybody was doing and losing their mind over? Which one is that? Um, the pipeline. I, f I forget what it's called. Everybody was, there was a big protest oh, over that's there. The, uh, I don't the, know why. I'm, over at the Sioux Nation? Yeah, I'm drawing a blank on whatever it was called. I'm sure everyone else will know what I'm talking about. That protest. The XL pipeline. Yeah, and the big, the big, D David said the only difference here is that you have some people trying to protect the land because they know how important this water is, and you have yeah. other people on the other side with paychecks. As long as yeah. there are people with paychecks, that's going to be an issue. We're going to be suppressing this whole thing over here. So we do need a very radical change and we need new understandings. And hopefully it's not the end of the fourth world, but it does, if you were looking at things and paying attention, it does seem like we are in for a collapse. And when you were talking about the flood and the electricity going down, it made me, it reminded me of all of the flood myths in indigenous cultures, there's, I don't know how many, 50, 120, there's a lot. Graham Hancock's book talks about it. And they talk about these flood myths where whole civilizations get wiped out. And then there is some sort of being, a god, a deity, or some people will say a star traveler, a star being helps as a teacher to regrow culture and society so we can be he human again and, and your heart example i think is so good in crisis for people to remember oh i should care about my neighbor that's who and what i am this is a part of this natural ecosystem and not just my neighbor but the land and the trees and the elements and the water and everything because it all has its place here and it's all incredibly and equally important that is true um, one of the things that a lot of people do not realize is that uh, man believes because of his ego that they're the only ones that make any difference to anything. There are other there are other entities at play with a lot of these different things that we're going through, and they can they can turn they can turn everything around as long as man believes in himself and make a commitment among the whole group and they can and they can make make it happen. You go back to my illustration of how the Pueblos would would dance the rain dance, like the like the mural behind you, that's a rain dancer. They would have at least a hundred people go in there and there they wear that the mask and and they can It'll be a clear day. The weather forecasters say it's going to be dry for the next week. The, the Indians would go through their spirituality, their prayers, and they, they prepare at least four or five days. They go through prayers, and when they come out, they're very serious. And uh, that, old, that old saying about the chain is that good as its weakest link. Everything has to be in sync with everything. And so about the first dance, the clouds start forming, 
second dance, you see a lot of cumulus clouds in the middle of July. And in the afternoon, there's a big old storm and, and big old um, rain coming down and the, the meteorologists have predicted that there's gonna be no weather pattern that's gonna interfere in, in the next week or so. And they created the rain. How did they do that? Well, because there's something other than mankind that is in control of a lot of these things. We talk about rock people. We talk about tree people. We talk about different animals. We talk about the animals that we use for, for ceremonial and for food. We only take what is needed, not more than what it is. And that's also another thing that the new, new generation has is violating is that they, they take more than what it is, what they require. So these are the things that a lot of people are now coming, tapping into what makes these things happen. Now the spirituality, the uh, all-planet beings, and of course that's been kept undercover for at least, at least 50 years. As, as yeah, you know, like for example, Roswell. So this, Indians have known about UFOs for thousands and thousands of years. I've known it since I was about six or seven years old, but I was on an isolated Indian reservation. When I first heard about Roswell, when I was going to college, and I had read every book about about UFOs, and when I start talking about these things, I thought, oh, yeah, they're just, they're just common occurrence. People thought that I was crazy. See, these are the things that uh, a lot of things that do, they do not understand about us, American Indian uh, people. And there's also representatives, you know, like uh, the plume serpent, for example. It's in, it's in every culture. You go down to Mexico. The plume serpent is a is a was was the beast or the, the animal, the plume serpent that came in the last last flood, the great flood. And of course the great flood is recorded by all different groups of people on the planet. So the Indians just didn't make this up. And we also go through rituals to keep the world in balance. We also talk about other off-planet uh, systems, like the moon, for example. I just uh, found my book about the the, uh, the title of the book means uh, "Who Made the Moon?" Whether the American Indians had their own versions of it. So these are the things that if they all respect each other's history, we will be better off as a group of people rather than trying to fight each other off and trying to say, well, my God is better than your God. There's only one God. So this is what intrigues me about a lot of these people. And I've, uh, I've read a lot of Graham Hancock's book. I've had a chance to talk with him, but he, he's on the right path, especially, and also the other writers. 
and just uh, just that I haven't gotten set down to write my book yet, but I think it'll be it'll be in that same same uh, way that the, something that can be passed on to the younger generation. So, what do you think? You know, I'm I'm really curious about. Uh, a lot of things. Every time you, you speak, I have a thousand more questions and I want to try to ask the best ones. What I'm curious about is how do you discern from the real UFO stuff, I guess, from the fake one in the sense that you've done your research and you're aware of these things, but you've also been to the conferences and you look and, and once you have a clear eye, you realize a lot of it is baloney. So it becomes a little bit, uh, you know, disheartening to know that there's all this fake stuff out there. And I remember meeting you at a conference for the second time. And as the second time I met you, I was like, Hey, Clifford, how you doing? And you're like, good. I was like, what do you think of all this stuff? And you're just like, Oh, you guys don't know very much. You know, the star people, the star nations, we have artifacts and history and teaching They're in, they're in, you know, we're taught about this thing and, and you kind of non-natives know only a little bit. And I was like, Holy smokes, I would, I would love to learn more. And so I'm curious, what do you think are the real events out there that happened? You know, I think that the Fravor event that was recently popularized, that seems like pretty congruent. It seems like Bob Lazar's story is pretty congruent. And then the second question I wanted to ask is, do you think we're going to have a first contact moment where they might say hello and, and communicate with us? Because in, from what I've learned, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that there was a time where the indigenous cultures had actually direct contact in almost a way of like, hey, how's it going? There's a, there's a cooperation here. Do you think that, that that's possible now? And am I incorrect in, in thinking that? Well, you know, we, we, uh, the Pueblo people had a direct contact. And this is where the Kachina, they used to call it a cult, but actually the priesthood came about. The Kachinas are actually ETs that used to come to the villages. The one that stuck in your mural back of you. And they used to come come to the villages as ETs themselves. But the reason that they had to go and because they're in a form, they were not very uh, good to look at or, or they were in very primitive form. So they would put on different types of costume from from vegetation that they they made I mean they got that the, before they went into the villages. And it's always been it's always known that they came from the sky, but they also went through uh, what we call uh, I would say stargates or vortices or or portals. And the famous one is in Arizona, which is the Kachina Mountains which I talk about a lot. So this, this, they've always been here, and the reason that they look so elaborate now is because man became a practitioner of the star beings because they primarily for the main reason is that they used to abduct the people when they used to come down here. And the other one was that uh, they were, uh, they only came and they gave him sort of like entertainment, but they also gave him blessings of seeds and rain. They're rainmakers. And so that to keep track of what is going on with the human population. So there's a lot of uh, 
applications, you go to a Kachina dance in Hopi Zuni, and, and if you don't have the background, it's just, you know, it's just a dance. But there's a lot of preparation that goes into those type of ceremonies. Actually, it's a priesthood ceremony, which the human takes the, the part of the ET, and you actually become like morph into an ET type. So this is why they also have a society that you're initiated into so that you'll be privy to the, the information and the systems, which is uh, which I don't talk about because it's very hard to interpret for people that are not familiar with it. There's been many books written on it, but they missed the point. Uh, Ruth Bonzo back in the late 1900s, I mean the early 1900s, talked about it. But a lot of the information with the Smithsonian group, well, they assumed a lot of stuff because they were not uh, welcome in, in the ceremonial chambers. But that actually broke through in there, but a lot of that information never came out of what the true meaning of those, those groups are. And uh, I, I chuckle when I uh, look at those books and read about it. Like one that I'm reading right now, they had a, a Pueblo Revolt. And that it, the Kachinas were, were uh, prevalent, even clear into central New Mexico, which is now present. They, I would say, Tucantari and, and uh, Los Alamos and far west as Kopi uh, and far south as Mexico. So they, if you look at the petroglyphs, you don't see any Kachina type petroglyphs anywhere because they were not recognized at that time because the Kachinas are actually probably only about a thousand year history because when when the Spaniards first came here, they were they had to get away from the Spaniards because they were killing every, everybody and everything else. So the Kachinas had to to disappear and make the humans be the activity group of the Kachina people. So this is a, this is a real true history that we have in Zuni. And uh, all the Kachina uh, cult or, or priesthood is, is from the Zuni nation and the Hopi nation. They, a lot of people make a mistake of saying that they come out of San Francisco Peaks in San Francisco, I mean, uh, Flagstaff, Arizona. And that is not true because a lot of ethnologists assumed a lot of things. So that in itself will be a very complex interpretation and to make it simple that they're, they're ETs that take the form of Kachinas that are carried out by the human beings to this day. 
Holy smokes. That is intense. And when you write your book or future podcasts or whatever we're going to do, are you going to be able to share some of the details of, of how that works? Or I understand that it's a really spiritual practice. And a lot of the stuff that I le- learned with David, he's asked me not to share. He says, you're supposed to learn it in person. And that's why I kind of call David and you sometimes Mr. Miyagi or uh, learning from Dr. Strange, because you got to earn it and you got to show up in person. And I think that there's a lot of value to that too, in the society that we live in, especially in this culture. So I, I certainly respect that. Um, But I'm curious, is there going to come a time where maybe you're allowed to share that knowledge? It it comes to that point, or do you think it's going to have to be something that's... It has has to be, it has to be passed on because a, a lot of these books that were written about that, like I say, were very, very bad uh, interpretations, uh, especially the Smithsonian view, and uh, in also those those people that talked about the spirituality of many different uh, other groups, like for, for example the Clown Society, the Tricksters and Coco Pelli and all that, they're all tied in with that type of effort, and the rock drawings show that. But uh, it has to be done because I believe that, for example, I'm probably the last of the my generation that has been given that knowledge because everything today is not passed on and, and it's only remnants of what it used to be even, even when I was a young boy back in the 1950s. And uh, since that time, I would say more than half of the rituals, the ceremonies are gone and they'll never be recovered because the songs are, are lost, the paraphernalia, the ritual uh, tools are gone. And a lot of them were sold out by our own people for monetary gain. And uh, so it's kind of, they're kind of hypocritical in saying that you are selling our history, our religion, they said, hey, you guys ought to look at yourself in the face. Your grandfathers, your great-grandfathers are the ones that actually sold these to people like Andy Warhol, for example. The, uh, Andy Warhol purchased a whole set of uh, ceremonial subjects and the, the, war, uh, the, the warrior society stuff. And that also the, when they uh, started giving back the, under the, uh, the several laws that affect giving back the artifacts to back to the Indian tribes. A lot of those uh, artifacts that were given back were never given to the tribes uh, that uh, administer those type of ceremonies. It was individuals that kept 2,000-year-old arrowheads, 2,000-year-old lance points, and they claimed that they were given to them. No, it was given to the tribe. I mean, I, I have first-hand knowledge of those things. Not only that, but I also worked in the federal government for the Grace Protection Act, the Indian recovery of artifacts, and it was part of my purview when I did the, the uh, federal application of those laws and the so this is this is a very very hard 
situation to explain to those people that he was supposed to be given back to the tribe, not the individuals that were appointed by these so-called tribal leaders. And they, they make actually money off of those things too. They take it from the Smithsonian, they give it to them, they can sell it back for, for $5,000 in a wax. And so this is, this is what's going on. Yeah, that's terrible. And I remember doing, I was in Washington DC with, with David and we went to a Native American museum there and I, and I looked at it and he, I watched David walk around and he was really upset. He was having a tough time because a lot of the artifacts and things there, he's like, this shouldn't be here. This shouldn't be here. This shouldn't be here. And there's uh, another woman, Donna, who's a Mi'kmaq also, I guess she goes around and she, she finds remains of, indigenous people that are in spots that they shouldn't be and she gets them back somehow i'm not exactly sure what what she does i'm hoping she comes on the podcast one day to explain what she does but finding some of the remains that are in these different spots saying this is not uh okay and she's able to get some of those back not all of them but but some of them so these things that are happening and and have happened are obviously not great clifford i could talk to you forever probably and i'm always excited to learn from you uh, I want to respect your time and just ask you uh, one more question. But then after that question, feel free to share anything else that you wish. I'm just curious from your view, you know, being well, probably one of the coolest titles I've ever heard, a galaxy medicine man, sounds amazing. Um, how would you help someone connect to spirit? You know, you're talking to, let's just say somebody is navigating their life. They grew up however they did. They might be happy. They might be depressed. They probably are if they're in the Western world. Most of us are what would you recommend for connecting to spirit or God or nature and and living a life that they're inspired about, that they're generally happy about? How do they connect with, you know, some sort of greater force other than themselves? Well, you don't go to Sedona and buy crystals. (laughs) I did that too. I tried it. (laughs) No, it's so simple. It is so simple that, you know, you you are just what you said about spirit, about God, about everything that uh, is within you. Because, first of all, you have to love yourself. You have to take care of you because you're the one that is the one that makes things happen. Uh, there's no, there's no simple way to explain it. It's just that you go inside of yourself and to learn about yourself and then you start asking questions. And remember that uh, in the white man's Bible it says, ask and you shall receive. That is what uh, a lot of people, they, they are so in turmoil. And the other thing, too, is that you have to go through a lot of cleansing. You have to be a peace warrior. You have to find peace within yourself. And you have to learn how to respect yourself. And then you start your journey of respecting all and everything outside of yourself. Every morning, I go to my my cornmeal. I go talk to the birds. 
they think that I'm crazy sometimes, maybe. Uh, that's okay. So it is so simple, and you have to learn how to love everything that is in nature. That's why I, uh, the only reason that I watch the news is because to me that is like a comedy hour. I want to see how men have progressed so far, they've become so damn dumb that they do not know what they're doing. So remember that one in the Bible, it says, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. <laughs> or professing themselves to become wise, they become fools. So uh, peace is a very uh, hard thing to accept. The other thing, too, is that you've got to learn how to not associate yourself with materialism. Uh, you have to maintain a balance of, uh, of what, and you learn how to balance which way you're going to go. Are you going to are you going to go with what these people are telling you? So you have to be your own boss. You have to do the you have to do the whole deciphering of a lot of activities and words of other people, and use discernment. Because a lot of those people, especially the book writers, when I go to a conference, somebody's got a brand new book. I do not look at the cover, or the introduction. I look at the bibliography, see where they copied from from each other. So, so this is why, in order to do that, you have to, like I said, you have to be in peace with yourself. And uh, I, I tell people, I say, you got to go with the flow, and you got to learn how to remember that uh, what's that guy's name that you got to know when to flow, fold or. Oh, no one to show them when to fold them, that song? Yeah. Something like that? Yeah. So you got to learn how to just say, no, I'm not going to get involved and be respectful. You know, I, I've had people shout in my face about a lot of things, how, how, how wrong I am and whatever. They don't know my background. They don't know that I have, I have taken on the hard subject. I don't care what subject it is, but I have, I guess, in because of my ways, I have done the very hard stuff. So that becomes an experience, you know. So, but and also, I believe that when somebody needs help, it's very hard to avoid them because uh, sometimes you're going to get your butt kicked or you're shouted out, "What the heck do you know?" I said, all I'm trying to do is help you. And so if they don't want it, well, you just keep moving, you know. Don't try to. So that's, a, that's the way I've been doing that. And as far as cleansing is concerned, you got to let go of a lot of things. I was fortunate enough to that uh, I went to so many ceremonies in my hometown. And also I had to let go of a lot of things based upon uh, my own self with the, the true medical people that know about, about the uh, cleansing, especially of the shrinks. I call them the shrinks, the medical professions. And you have to trust, learn how to trust. I still haven't learned. Uh, 
a lot of things because I'm led down the wrong path or not. But then again, I, you have to recover from that. But you know, I'm not going to pull myself up just because I had a few bad experiences. But it's you got to have your open mind. You have to learn how to accept it. But the hard part is when you first walk in there and this guy on the stage is showing you a PowerPoint. He said, this is what it is. And so you have to learn and you have to question, am I going to believe this or what basis do I have to go with this, this what this guy is saying? And then I said, well, let me look at my background. Let me look at my experience. Let me look at what I have learned, not only in the experience part, but also in the book learning part of it. Because there's so many things out there. I mean, there's books that are written every day that are so far out. So then pretty soon you got to learn how to choose which way you go. And I think that I've been very fortunate that I've talked to those people that write the books firsthand, you know, sit down with them, be with them, and really pick their brains as to where they get this information. So, but that's that's just a general generalization of what I go through. It's not it's not exact. It's not calculus. You know, it's not it's not string theory. It's not quantum mechanics. But these people allude to that, and so. There's several books that are now coming out, and some of the best scientists that I know of personally have come out with some very good books that they spend a lot of time. We have shifted from, uh, I used to accuse scientists of, if it's not in their little box of knowledge, it doesn't exist. Where their boxes have been kicked around a lot, they're coming out of their little boxes and they're actually learning to say, yes, there is something out there that doesn't fit into our little boxes. So therefore, I'm writing this book. There's many good books that are out there and and uh, I, have, I have yet to, to really sit down with them. And, and I'm like I said, I'm very fortunate that I can sit down with those PhDs and 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 talk to them. I always tell them, I said, you know, he said it's great you got a PhD in physics, but I have an advanced degree that none of you have. He said, what's that? I have an advanced degree in CS. And they kind of wonder, what 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 uh, what field of study is that? He said, I have an advanced degree in common sense. So this is what, and, and so this is what, this is what a true American Indian uh, spiritual person is, that he has so many information that he has accumulated from thousands and thousands of years of information systems that have been carried, carried down. That's what I'm trying to do. All I am is just using my background in passing this on. I'm a messenger. And the more I write about it, I think it's going to be better off 
say like a kid that's just being born right now. 20 years from now, he says, what was that all about? So uh, I used to kid about, about the casinos. A grandson would be driving down the road with his father in a pickup truck and he'd say, hey, grandpa, what's that place that's all uh, boarded up and it's, it's all fallen to, to disarray and it's, it's all just a whole pile of stuff. And he said, grandson, there used to be our casino way back in the 1980s and 1990s. So I think eventually that's what's going to happen. Once they get their money, the leases are dried out. And then they move on to take their, pick up their tent and they go to the next reservation. Unfortunately, that's, I work with the casinos and eventually that's what's going to happen. It'll be just like destruction of in this case, the way of life, rather than raping the land for coal, natural gas, forestry, water, and so on. So there's a lot of things that I need to talk about in my, my writing. So and you're welcome to call me on, on your podcast whenever you want to talk about anything. Clifford. Thank you so much. There's so much really powerful and important information in what you shared tonight. I really appreciate it. Is there anything else that you want to talk about before we close it down today? And you are always welcome back any day you want. You just call me. I say you're like tracking Bigfoot the first time trying to get a hold of you to get you to show up. I'm like you're going <laughs> So if I can land you, I'm happy to have you on here. I just got to find you. Well, you know, it's uh, a <laughs> Yeah, I I have to uh my voice is going, so I gotta uh, let let you go for this time, and then I'll I'll call you and we'll set up a, a schedule. I think that the the public at large needs to know more about the unforgotten real Americans, which are the American Indian people. We have nobody talks for us. We have nobody care about us. They just think they just think that the more stuff that you throw at them on the reservation, they'll keep quiet and we'll continue to take their minerals, their, their land and their resources and their water. But uh, and the other thing too is that next time I would like to probably inform the, the uh, American people or at least the world of what casinos are really all about and how they operate because they think that Every Indian tribe that has a casino, they're making so much money. That is not true. As I work for the foundation of those casino activities 20, 30 years ago, and I think that the American people should be made aware of who actually gets the money. It's the casino mafia, it's the federal government, it's the state government, and the tribal people that are in power are the only ones that benefit. So I'll go through a whole review of that, hopefully in one of our podcasts, so that they, so they would not, when I go to do a lecture over there, anywhere, they always say, boy, you guys are making all kinds of money on casinos. I said, that's not true. So I would like to probably take at least an hour 
to go through the, the legal activities related to that and the environmental concerns, the social, the religious, spiritual uh, destruction by casinos. It's an add-on to, to domestic violence, alcoholism, drug abuse, and, and casinos. Uh, grandma gets her monthly paycheck, and the grandkids take her to the casino. They buy her a cup of coffee. The grandkids go over there, and 30 minutes later, the whole check for the month is gone. How is grandma going to live for the next next 30 days until the next check comes in? This is how bad it is. So I'd like to cover that next time. Absolutely, yeah. 100% Clifford, that's that's awful. So thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you and what you're doing and, and for sharing. I look forward to chatting again, Clifford. Thank you so much for, for sharing what you did. Okay, thank you very much. Right, we'll see you. Yeah, we'll see you next time. Okay, bye. Bye. All right, guys, that wraps up that amazing episode with Clifford Mahoudi. I hope that you enjoyed it. Please help Clifford, share the message, share his wisdom. It's truly amazing and special to have Clifford on the show sharing his phenomenal, ancient, and somewhat secretive history. I know that Clifford has been a little bit in trouble with the, the Zuni people because not all of them want this knowledge out there. The same with David Lombear. Not all the Mi'kmaq want this knowledge out there because they believe it's their sacred knowledge, and I respect that um, as well considering everything that they've gone through so it's very special for these few to be sharing and i do think that we need to as uh as people who have platforms myself uh, to open up those to indigenous people indigenous teachings and figure out what we can do to create a truly uh, harmonious relationship because we have not done that yet so it's very special and i'm humbled to have clifford on sharing his wisdom so please support him by sharing the episode uh leaving a review and um, just helping him get the word out there. Um, thank you guys for listening. I appreciate you. Uh, if you go to mattbelair.com, sign up for the email list. I'm going to be doing a 21-day challenge to kick off the premium membership in January. So I'm just going to kind of do everything then. But uh, yeah, looking forward to connecting with all of you in that. And so just go to the mattbelair.com to sign up for the email list to get all that kind of information. But thank you so much for listening to this episode. I'm wishing you all the best. I appreciate you. Thank you to all my patrons, all of you guys who have left a review, everybody for listening, all of my love and appreciation. So let's come to a state of peace and coherence before we close this up. So wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath into your nose. Hold that breath and just let it out slowly, filling every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being with peace, joy, contentment, inspiration, and ready to take on the rest of the day. So thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you in the next episode.